1: Welcome to the Bunyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here in the wee hours of, I guess it's Wednesday morning. I think that's right. Yeah, I think it's Wednesday. All the days run together when you're out here on the road. But, uh, man, what a night it was. So much to talk about. It's uh, one of those nights, I think, that we'll all remember for the rest of our lives. You know, we talk so much about that Stanford Super Regional and how special that was. Yeah, you know, this maybe is a little more special because of the stakes and because of where we are and what we're trying to accomplish. But, um, you know, it's just you have those big nights and you begin to wonder, man, will I ever experience anything like this ever again? Well, we did. Tuesday night against the University of Virginia. Now, I'll be the first to say I might have underestimated Virginia a little bit too. And you give Griff McGarry a lot of credit for pitching as well as he did. We could do absolutely nothing for seven innings. But here's the thing. There's a reason we play nine, and if you're going to beat Mississippi State, you're going to have to fight us for all 27 outs. And that's what Mississippi State showed tonight. We have some real toughness on this team. We have great leadership on this team. We have great culture within this program. And that was evident in that ball game. The never-say-die attitude about this team is uh, something I don't know that I've ever seen from Mississippi State baseball. It just, they just continue to find a way to amaze me. You know, and I've talked about this, and so many people have come up in Omaha and said, hey, Steve, we're elite. You never you never doubted that or anything. Like, listen, none of that matters anymore. It's not about who was right, who was wrong. And there's so many Bulldog fans, too, that, you know, that kind of gave up on this team. But all that's forgiven now. I mean, let's just put all that behind us. I mean, it, it doesn't matter anymore. We just need to unite as a fan base and get behind this team because we've got a chance to do something we've never done before. That's the thing I think about, too, is like every time we come, like, well, you know, can we win it? Yeah, we can win it. We can. And I'm happy to say that I picked us to go 2-0, but I'll be honest with you, it's been a whole lot tougher than I expected. I mean, it absolutely has. It's been so dramatic, and and now we get a much-deserved two days off to kind of rest and let our guys kind of refocus a little bit. And I asked Chris Amonis about that a little bit you know, earlier this week in game. You win the first game against Texas, and the attitudes on your team change. Like you get here and you're so sort of nervous about Omaha and it's like, you know, it's the big stage, it's a big crowd, bigger crowds we've ever seen. You know, what do we do? How do we respond? Well, then you win that first game and all of a sudden you got to pull everybody back down out of the clouds. And I don't know if it was uh, – I don't know if we were really ready to play tonight. And I don't mean that as an indictment on Chris DeMontis or the staff or even the leadership of the team. I just think when you've got some young guys, sometimes they lose gravity at the moment. You know, I'm a firm believer, and when you start believing you're a team of destiny, you start playing that way. But you have to continue to execute. And I thought combination of Griff McGarry really pitching well. And, uh, you know, it's a shame somebody had to lose. But as I tweeted, somebody did have to lose. I'm glad it wasn't us. But it's a combination of the job he did and then the fact that I think that we, we came out a little bit flat. And, of course, you know, Christian didn't have his best stuff. And, you know, I'll be honest with you, um, <laughs> I don't know what's going on out there, but it, there's always some guys out there, you know, that it, there was a, some discussion after Arkansas that some people had our signs. And that didn't come from our fans. That came within the college baseball community. That came from some people that know some players on some other teams and said, hey, that they knew our signs. And Arkansas came in here and kind of teed off on our pitching. And so, you know, that's still out there. Now, and it's up to Chris Amonis and, and the staff, obviously, to make the proper adjustments. And we did do that on Tuesday night. We really kept Virginia guessing. There's just so much to talk about. And, man, it feels so good to win. It absolutely feels so good to win. There's so many of us, you know, myself included and all of you, that, you know, we have given so much for this. And we have waited and we have cheered and we have supported. We've invested time, effort, money, emotional energy into this baseball program. And as John Cohen said earlier in the year when I interviewed him, he goes, man, I actually want it more for our fans than I even do our players because they've given so much. And so let's take a moment and enjoy this. Okay, we've got a couple days to kind of savor our position in the College World Series. We really do. So rather than, you know, focusing on, oh, what are we going to do if this happens, let's just take a moment and take a deep breath, okay? Another thing that I want to say too, and I think this is important, Let's kind of be above the I told you so thing with other fan bases, and that's all Arkansas, Ole Miss, whoever. And I, listen, I know some people are still going to do it, and, and I can't really tell anybody how to act. I'm just going to tell you my opinion. You know, let's let this be about us. You know, the rest of the way, no matter when the journey ends, if it ends with the national championship, if, if, it, went, if it ends Saturday, let's let these last few days of college baseball season be about Mississippi State and about all that we love about Mississippi State baseball and about these players and about our coaches and our fans, let's focus on that. So rather than you know tweeting constantly and you know getting on Facebook and that sort of stuff and kind of calling people out, I, did, I think that that is a pettiness that we can pause for just a little while and let's just really focus on what we have in front of us and let's enjoy the moment. Because you never know when you're going to have – a great moment. You just don't know it. And so, when we have one, let's take a little time to enjoy it. I right? remember back in 2014, it was a post I made on the JeansPage.com forums. You know, we're undefeated and number one in the country, and you know, people are complaining and griping about this and griping about that. The secondary is no good, and we've got to do this, got to do that. And I remember thinking, well, it's finally official. You know, we're number one in the country and undefeated, and we can still still find something to complain about. Well, right now, there's nothing to complain about. We're exactly where we wanted to be, and we're striving to what we want more than anything else, and that's a national championship. And, again, I'm not ready to make the call. I do believe today that we're going to win this bracket. As I told you guys last week before I made the trip to Omaha, I firmly believed whoever won that Friday night, uh, that first ball game, I guess it was Sunday night, whatever day it was, that first ball game between Texas and Mississippi State was going to play for a national championship. A minute then, I still believe it. We're about to play for a national championship. We're going to break down the bracket and kind of talk about what's happened the last couple of days, but let's just take some time to kind of savor where we are and what we're experiencing together as a fan base. Forget everybody else, because what everybody else doesn't, what they think and feel doesn't matter. We don't need their approval, we don't need their validation. We have each other. And this is something that many of us you know, have longed for for many, many years. I mean, we come here in 18, and let's be honest, we really didn't have any business being here. We earned our way here, but it was not one of our better teams. And we won the first two games. But even with that, in the back of our minds, there was this fear of impending doom. Because deep down, we all knew that Oregon State was the best team in the country. And we were hoping that North Carolina maybe could beat them a second time. They didn't oregon state comes back and drills us in the, the the first game of the uh the bracket final and then they extend it and we had our chances there in the second game to win and, and go play for a national championship but we didn't do it we came back in 2019 you know we beat auburn and i think that's a team probably we took a little bit for granted because we had handled them during the season they were much better i think we kind of took it for granted we were probably looking ahead a little bit to that vanderbilt game and we nearly lost but Vanderbilt was the best team in the country. and we played them, they showed it, and they beat us. And I interviewed Jake Mangum for Alpha Dogs. It's one of the things he talked about. He goes, you know what? We just couldn't get Vanderbilt. They were just better. That's not the case this year. When you look at this 2021 field, there's not a single team in here that scares me. You know, Vanderbilt probably scares me a little bit just because of the fact that, uh, of our history You know, with them. If I break it down and try to look at it objectively, You know, I would say, hey, you know, listen, if we end up facing those guys, we got a real good chance to beat them. I'll be honest with you, I don't want to see them. I I don't. And, of course, they have to win three games in order to get to the College World Series final. We've got to win one. So I don't know how arm-weary they would be when they get there. Now, obviously, they're going to do whatever they have to do with Rocker and lighter to keep the train moving. But they're going to go play a ball game uh, tomorrow night. I guess it's tonight, technically, against a very, very good Stanford team that can really swing it, and they're going to have to throw – somebody other than Kumar Rocker and Jack Leiter. I could see Vanderbilt getting done up in that ballgame. But when I look at the rest of these teams, I just think, you know what, we measure up pretty good with those guys. We do. I don't think there's anybody on, on that can beat us two out of three, honestly, outside of Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt, of course, you know, when they're on, they've already beat us two out of three this year. So there is all this you know, mental energy that goes into play and those guys, all the preparation, things like that. And they got the two best pitchers in baseball. They're not very good offensively. Talked about that all year long, and, and you see it here in Omaha. They're not a great offensive team. They got shut out the other night, uh, you know, by NC State, you know, a team that nobody really expected to be here. But here they are. And so I'm pulling for NC State. I'm really pulling for anybody on my side of the bracket that's not named Vanderbilt. But I like this NC State team, and I think we measure up pretty well with them. And for that matter, I think we do with Stanford too. But, um, you know, there's a lot that's got to happen before any of that matters. We've got to focus on our side of the bracket and what we need to do to ensure that we're still here next week. Because, again, we've been here before and not been able to finish the deal. I submit to you there have been some great Mississippi State teams that didn't get the opportunity to play for a national championship. You go back to 85, you know, we needed to beat Miami, and then we would had to play Texas, and Texas was out of pitching. Miami goes on and wins a national championship. The same thing happens in 18. You can make the same argument in 16. You know, we lose to Arizona that ends up going and playing for a national championship and lose to Coastal Carolina. You know, the 2016 team certainly was good enough. 2013, you know, we played for a national championship. And maybe the moment was a little bit too big for us, but I believe that we have matured and grown as a program. And I think the leadership on this team, we're going to make sure that we close the door if we get in there. I, I firmly believe this might be our time. Let's thank our good friends at Bulldog Burger Company, longtime sponsors of this show. Man, I love those guys. I love that food. And, I, and I've had some people reach out and say, Hey, Steve, I, I finally went and had the p- Pimentology for the first time. And you're absolutely right. And, and I am. It's, it's fabulous. And I don't even like pimento and cheese, but I love the Pimentology. I always get it with bacon when I get it. It's my big cheap meal. I'll probably get more cheap meals than I should, but um, I do love the Pimentology at Bacon. You need to go by and check it out. Have it yourself. Three locations now to serve you. Right there on Lake Harbor Drive in Ridgeway, that's a brand new one. I've had so many of you reach out and say, Steve, we went, and it was fabulous. Of course, the flagship right there on University Drive in Start Vegas and then Gloucester Street there in Tupelo. Three wonderful locations run by three great staffs. Great food, great prices, great portions, man. Great atmosphere. Go check them out today. Bulldog Burger Company, the place for people go to meet. M E A T. All right, let's talk about this ball game. You guys, this ball game lasted three hours and forty-one minutes, and I believe it. I mean, it felt like a boxing match, really. It really did. And, and for a while there, as you guys know, it just did not seem to be going our way. So let's break it down. I mean, it was—I'll uh, be honest with you—but halfway through the ball game, I'm thinking, man, it's going to be a miserable show having to talk about that and kind of piecing the pitching together and trying to find a way to three games, win three games, and. You know, you just never know, but um, that's the great thing about baseball. So top of one, we come up there, and we, we put the ball in play, but all of it was pretty much soft contact. You know, Rowdy grounds out the second, T.A. pops up the short, Cam James grounded it back to the pitcher, just tapped it right back there, and that was on an 0-2 count. So I wasn't as optimistic. You know, with Todd Madden, we put the ball in play, but it seemed like we, we were finding some barrels. That wasn't the case with McGarry. They go right to work, man, on Christian and you're not going to convince me that they didn't know something because they were on every changeup, regardless of count. They just simply knew too much. And people say, well, you know, maybe they scouted really well. Maybe they did. And I'm not trying to accuse anybody of cheating because I think stealing signs is part of baseball. That doesn't bother me. I know other people don't like it, but, you know, if you don't want me to steal them, you better change them. But um, they were on us really, really early. Lead-off hitter, uh, Zach Giloff, he has his two brothers there. He singles, and then there's the sack bunt. They do a great job basically playing for one every inning. If they get the leadoff hitter on, they're going to bunt that guy to second and try to get him in. Uh, Teal then singles back up the middle, drives in a run. It's one-nothing. And then we kind of, you know, settle down a little bit. Ortiz pops up, and then we walk. Kent, and that's one of the things we talked about we can't do. Then we have the wild pitch. Runners go to second third, but thankfully we get out of it with the fly ball out to left. And so they had opportunities there to extend the lead. It's a one-nothing ball game, but a base hit there. We might have been in a very, very early hole. Uh, so top of second, you know, we come back and uh, really just don't do a whole lot here. Hancock strikes out swinging, which is rare. I think it's the 16th strikeout in the year. Logan Tanner flies out to center, but he hit the baseball really well. And this is what I thought, well, okay, well, Logan seeing him, it's just a matter of time before something drops for him. De DeBruill walks, and I'll be honest with you, I, I, I met with, uh, with some fans before the ball game. We were talking about that, and I said, I really thought our left-handers would have a good game against McGarry it's because of the fact we see a lot of velo, and we're a predominantly left-handed lineup, and, and, and DeBruill has a big at-bat there, gets us our first base runner, and then Cumba uh, strikes out swinging, but it was a lengthy at-bat. You know, it's like we get ahead 3-1, and then uh, he, he finishes the deal there. Couple of K's swinging in that one, so again we're not putting the ball in play here. And then a the second inning comes, and this was their big inning, very very big inning for them. A lot of this was Christian, but a lot of it was also Virginia. You got to give those guys credit. But we open the inning with a walk, and what do they do? sag bun in the second. Again, play in for one. You get a double to left center, drives in to run. It's a run into two and ball game. The younger. Uh, I got the movie leadoff hitter again. So, yeah, g doubles down the line there, drives in another run, makes it 3 nothing, And then Coach got It's basically a bunter. Singles back up the box and scores another run. It's 4 nothing, and it just seemed like the wheels were about to fall off. That's how it felt. It's like, you know what, this is not our night. We're going to have to come through the loser's bracket. I'm glad the Bulldogs didn't believe that. Teal gets a single infield hit there, and that was one of those ones, just a great, well-placed ball. Uh, hit to the right side. We just couldn't – we made the play there, but we couldn't complete it. We stop it let, before it gets too deep into the outfield there. Then we hit Ortiz, and, of course, this is Preston Johnson in the game. We hit the guy. But then Preston Johnson, with the bases loaded, he had a chance to fold here, but he didn't. And I think his performance right here and these next two at-bats is the difference between winning and losing in many respects. As great as the bullpen was – Preston Johnson did a job for Mississippi State and kind of held the game where it was. He gets uh, Kent to strike out swinging on uh, on an 0-2 count and gets tapped and looking. And so we leave him loaded. And as bad as it was at 4-0, you kind of look up and you say, you know what, there's a lot of ball game left. It's just a second inning. We've got seven innings left. We need to start chipping away here. Hopefully the bullpen can hold the game in place. And maybe we can get a run here, get a couple runs there. Next thing you know, you know, we're maybe within a swing, that's exactly what happened for us. But, again, Preston Johnson really goes out there. And this is a guy, too, early in the year kind of struggled with confidence, wasn't sure he was an SEC pitcher. and said so he had to convince himself he had belong, and he does belong, and did a job for Mississippi State. Could be one of those jobs we look back one day and say, you know what? <laughs> It may not show up much. We don't talk about it a whole lot. Didn't make Sports Center, but that Preston Johnson kid went out there and did a job for State and held the game where it was. Got two big punch-outs to get us out of the inning to leave the bases loaded in Omaha to give our offense a chance to stay in the ball game. Well, we didn't get the offense going in third. Uh, Kelton Clark strikes out swinging pretty good at bat there. Uh, he had a, a couple healthy swings there. And then Forsyth lines out to right. Actually hit the ball pretty well. Roddy Jordan grounds out to the pitcher. So it's a 1-2-3 inning, so they've gone through the order one time, plus one, and we've got one base runner to show for it, and that was a walk to De Brule. Bottom of third, Preston Johnson comes right back out. It's a 1-2-3 inning. Get a ground out, a strike out, and a fly out to left. And, again, this is where the game really began to settle for us. Still waiting for the offense to catch up, though. T.A. strikes out swinging on a slider. Cam James strikes out swinging. And Hancock grounds out the second. And uh, you know Luke's hitting some balls hard, but uh, topping some balls too, kind of beating them in the ground. UVA comes back there in the fourth. Uh, Preston Johnson's stealing the ball again. We give up a single, and then there's the, the, again the sack bunt again, and then another single. And then we make a change there. We go ahead and pull the pitcher, and we bring in Chase Patrick, of course, a guy we're looking to grill up a ground ball with. But it's incredible to me. Preston Johnson's dominant for a couple of innings, and then all of a sudden they start hitting him, and I don't think it's necessarily because of the fact that it's you know, three innings. I think they kind of caught on to what we were doing there. And what happens, Chase Patrick comes in and again and does a job for Mississippi State. Rolls up a double play ball on a 1-1 count. We're out of the inning. Again, the bullpen doing their job, and there's been so many people, too. There's a lot of hot takes out there. A lot of people say, well, yeah, bullpen hadn't been very good outside of Landon Sims. I completely disagree. And tonight showed it. Tonight showed that we actually have some depth because we had to have that tonight because Christian just didn't have his best stuff. And for one reason or another, they were really on Christian. And so as a result, we had to kind of turn to the bullpen. And Landon Sims, we knew was on short rest. He couldn't come out there and go four innings for us. So somebody had to step up, and several people did. All right, so top of five, you know, we get in, we get a dugout and uh, – Logan Tanner lines out in second, again, hits the ball hard, and the guy has to make an overhead catch there and does. Then DeBruyne grounds out in third, hit the ball really well, though. And then Cumbus flies out to left. And it was a really quick inning. I believe it was a five-pitch inning there. And you think, you know what, this, this may not be our night. It just may not be our night. So we bring in Parker Sonette there in the fifth, and uh, it kind of surprised me that we saw him then. But, man, what a great job he did again another guy going out there doing a job for them over s so we get a ground out at second we get a case swinging we get a single to left and then um, we throw the guy out at second and it wasn't a caught stealing because it was a wild pitch but we throw him out and uh, i'll be honest with you when i saw it live i didn't think de bruyne tagged him but i don't think there was a clear enough view on replay to overturn the call so they stay with the call on the field it was a very significant out at the time. So, top of six, Kellen Clark absolutely rips one right at a second baseman. He makes a great play. Forsyth and K's looking, and it wasn't a good at bat. Really thought he had a chance to make a play there. But, again, I'm a Lane Forsyth fan. He is so great for us defensively, and there will be some opportunities for him down the road. He is going to be a great player at Mississippi State. It's going to take him a little while to get the offense going. I don't think it happens this year, but I'm not ready to give up on that kid by any stretch of imagination. His spot in the order came up a little bit later, though, and it was very significant at bat. We'll get to that. Rowdy Jordan is then hit by the pitch, and he had to basically sell the whole ballpark, that he got hit. And here's the thing, too. I want to opine about this just a little bit. I don't understand why we don't just go replay that. I don't understand why we have to convene. We've got to talk to Chris among We've got to get back together. Then we've got to go talk to Brian O'Connor. And then we got, then we'll go review it. And it was the review took about five seconds because it was obvious Rowdy got hit. And so while it didn't prove significant, I just think he kind of exposed the flaw in the replay system yet again. I mean, we're trying to speed the game up, and we got this kind of silliness going on. So then T A strikes out swinging on a slider, and and again it just felt like it wasn't going to be a night for him. And at this point, he's O for Omaha. And a lot of people are wondering where's Mississippi State star. You know, in order to win big on the big stage, you've got to have your stars shine the brightest. That hadn't really happened yet, you know, yet at this point to Mississippi State. Just, I mean, just not there. I mean, again, T.A. was 0 for 4 in game one, and at this point he's 0 for 3. So they come back, and again, they threaten. We get a fly out to center, then they give a single, then there's a pass ball, there's a walk, there's a foul out, and then we get another foul out. And, uh, again, that's Danette kind of doing a job here. But, again, they're starting to put the ball in play a little bit, right? So let's get a little deeper into this thing. Uh, So top of seven. Cam James strikes out swinging. Again, a pretty good at bat there. We just uh, just couldn't finish it. Hancock flies out to right. Logan Tanner flies out to center. Again, Logan Tanner putting the ball in play. Didn't have anything to show for it. But a much better night than what he had in game one. But, again, a quick inning there. You know, it's just, it's what a, you know, I guess a seven pitch inning. So he is absolutely dealing. We, we, uh, I guess Cam Tuller had come in at some point. Let me back up a second, see when that was when we brought Cam Tuller in. Yeah, we brought him in. So, yeah, we bring him in after the walk, and then Cam gets a pair of uh, foul outs to get out of it. So we bring in Cade Smith who I'm a huge fan of. I think he's going to be a great player for Mississippi State. He actually gets the win tonight in relief. He gets Ortiz swinging. Then we walk a guy. We get a fly out, and then we force a guy. And, again, a great play here by Lane Forsyth. I I think the only play he had was the second. He does a perfect, perfect throw to second base. And DeBruy gets it. So we're out of the the jam there. But, uh, you know, Kate Smith, again, a young guy here on the biggest stage, goes out there, and, and gets you out of the inning. So top of eight, this is when the fun happens. So Scotty Brule, and this is an incredible at-bat. Oh, my gosh. And this is when you can kind of tell McGarry was tiring a little bit. So we get down 0-2 here. We take a ball that's a waste pitch. We foul one off, foul another one off, and then it's three straight balls. And so – it's a it's a walk so we get a leadoff base runner there and you're thinking okay we just need base runners to kind of get some things going and then you start doing the math in your head okay who needs to reach in order for us to get the top of the order up turns out we needed them but we didn't need them quite as much as we hoped. compass and flies out to left and i thought brad really just missed it there you know two oh count uh two one count excuse me he got a ball he could handle, and I thought he just missed it a little bit. Ends up being, you know, a, a, a fly out to short left, right there at the line. And then Callum Clark, very first pitch, he's absolutely sitting dead red, and he murdered that. He murdered that fastball. And you know, I'm sure they're thinking, well, this is a freshman, and he hadn't had much going on here at Omaha. Uh, let's jump ahead here with a runner on. It's a four nothing ball game. Let's go challenge this kid, and uh, they got a lesson in Brandon High School baseball there because Callum Clark absolutely murdered that baseball, and his exuberance rounding the bases I thought was really, really important because, you know, we could go out there and just kind of dance around and say, okay, well, listen, you know, we at least we're not going to get shut out, but I thought that his energy was big. It, it ignited the crowd. It ignited the dugout, and I, I think his Exuberance in his response to that play was a big part of that. I mean, everybody's gonna respond favorably when you hit a big two-run home run, but the team needed a lift, and I thought he gave it to us not just with the bat, but with his own energy. You know, then you look up and you're like, you know what? There's only one out in the inning. Maybe we can make something happen. We will get over to the top of the order. Maybe maybe Rowdy or T.A. can run into one, kind of get us make this thing reasonable in the ninth. Well, we decided to pinch hit uh, Josh Hatcher. For Lane Forsythe, and I'll be honest with you, when it happened, I'm thinking, okay, we're trying to set up, you know, the righty-lefty matchup here, and Hatch is a guy, if we that has some home run power and could run into one. But I thought, you know what, Lane is struggling a little bit. It's a righty-on-righty deal against a guy that's really overpowering. I thought it was smart. Of course, you lose your shortstop, and you think in a close ball game, what if we get into extra innings? And uh, you know, of course, Tanner Leggett could have played it, but you know, he's not your regular guy. And again, that's not a slide to Tanner, but. If he was the better shortstop, he'd be playing, right? So Tanner's been a great utility guy for us and been a good team guy. No way am I being negative about him. But it was a real risk for Chris Amonis. It really was. But it pays off. So Hatcher gets behind an account, one two, fouls one off, and then rifles one out there to short. And Josh is a lot faster than people realize. And so because of the fact Josh is getting down the line, it was going to be a close play, and uh, the ball's in the dirt there, and he beats it, and he's awarded with the hit, and I was glad to see it. But that's a veteran guy, man. That's another guy. We talk about T.A. and Rowdy all the time. This is another guy that has been to Omaha three straight years. He knows what it takes. You know, we don't get to Omaha without Josh in 18. You may recall Gary makes the call to let Josh pinch hit it in the ninth, and then you have back-to-back switch hitters and, jake and rowdy so all of a sudden they had to face three straight left handers we start a rally ta gets a big double and and we come back there but you know josh is the one that was the rally starter for us in that ball game so hatchie of course gets a single here and then rowdy just blisters a ball out to left center and i was watching it the whole way newell's chasing and chasing and chasing and chasing and just kept tailing away from him. He just couldn't quite get there i really thought josh should have scored here but it's not on josh cheatsborough stops him uh, I would have had, had him roll. But also, too, you know, Cheese is probably thinking, you know what, hey, worst-case scenario, we got, you know, the time runs and scoring position with our best guy coming up with less than two outs. And when T.A. stepped up to the box, I really thought that they were going to walk him. And, of course, they make a pitching change here, right? So they left Messenger, who would come in from McGarry, and bring in uh, the, this, this, the Dippin' Dots guy, Right. Scotch, I guess is his name, Scooch, Scooch, whatever. And so I really thought that they would walk him. And I was talking to one of the TV guys there, and I said, you know, maybe it's one of these unintentional, intentional walks, but they're not going to give him anything to hit. But they're not going to mess around with him. And so maybe they'll throw a couple to see if he'll chase. But if not, they'll just put him on. And the very first pitch made me think that's exactly what they were going to do. That first pitch was well outside of the strike zone. And who knew at that point that they were going to elevate that breaking ball and all of a sudden we were going to witness one of the greatest swings in the history of Mississippi State baseball. That's how important it was. Do you, look at where we've come from, how bad we had been all night offensively, and here we are grinding out and taking a lead in the eighth inning in Omaha to stay in the winner's bracket. Hadn't been many swings more important than that one. And T.A. absolutely blisters it. It was gone off the bat. You, know, you look up, and right off the bat, you're thinking, is that going to be? It's gone. And at that point, I knew we were going to win. There were some anxious moments, but I was like, you know what? This is how the story ends. You know, thankfully, we come back and add a little bit of an insurance run. It turns out we needed it. Uh, Cam James lines out to left field there. Actually hit the ball really well. And then Hancock singles to center field, and it just it felt like, you know what, we're a pitch away here from putting this thing away. Then Logan Tanner walks. And, again, a good night from him, even though he didn't have a lot to show for it. Hit the baseball well, and then here we were, you know, working to kind of extend the game and get some insurance here, and LT gets a big walk there. They changed pitchers again, right? So we put Tanner in for, for Luke at second base as a pinch runner, and they bring in Savino. And then what does Scotty Brule do? He absolutely hammers the ball the other way. It was so great, too. Dave Murray contested this. They had the third baseman basically playing on the cut, and I said, you know what, that's not good scouting. It's just not good scouting. If it was a typical left-hander up there, it would make sense. But when you've got a guy like Scotty Brule that works backside for a living, this is a guy that can hit the ball with some authority on the ground through the left side, and that's exactly what happened. The guy's playing too far up. If they're playing big infield there, it's probably, the inning's probably over. But De Brule drives the ball through the left side. The run scores, makes it 6-4. And, again, Scotty De Brule, I tweeted out about that earlier this week because you know, he's kind of been an unsung hero on this team. He doesn't have you know, gaudy numbers. He's not a guy that's going to hit home runs for you. But you always catch him doing the right things. And here he is in that situation again doing what he does, working backside, hammering the ball hard on the ground, drives in a run. Tanner Leggett scores. And I think everybody felt kind of a sigh of relief. It was like, oh, man, now we're up two runs. Wow, six runs here in the eighth. Maybe we can, you know, relax a little bit. So we bat around in the inning, and then, uh, you know, Brad has a really good at bat here, but we do strike out swinging. And, and a base hit there, we probably aren't having this much fun because uh, I think we'd probably put the game away there. So a lot of defensive changes. Leggett goes to short, uh, Hatchie to first, and then Skinner out there for Cumbus to left. We bring in Stone Simmons. I kind of questioned the move a little bit. It worked out okay, but uh, it almost didn't. He comes out there and really struggled to find the strike zone early on, gets behind you know, 2-0, and then we get a swing, and then we get behind 3-1, and there's a line out to right. TA makes a great play on that, and, and that's a hard ball to, to defend. I think a lot of people don't fully appreciate that. It's a line drive pretty much right at you, but you have to kind of make a running grab. And so if, if you misjudge it, it's going to go to the wall, If you take it in front of you, it's going to be a base hit. And uh, T.A. got a great jump on it, and we get the first out there, and I think everybody's like, oh, here we go. And then Newell hits that ball to left, and it seemed like Skinner got a late jump on it, didn't have a good beat on it, but I thought he was going to run it down, but the ball just kept carrying and carrying and carrying. That's a nine-hole hitter, Newell, uh, that hit the tank there and uh, made it a 6-5 ball game. We didn't mess around much longer here, right? Uh, We do get uh, the leadoff hitter. Uh, Jelliff to fly out to center so we've got two two outs and then we give up the single uh, to Cochier that puts the time run on base so we bring in Sims and it's a one pitch deal he gets a line out to Skinner out in left field and so we're headed to the ninth and I was just sitting there thinking if we could just get one run here I think everybody would enjoy the rest of this ball game and what do we do we get a lead off walk to Kellum Clark I'm thinking, okay, well, Hatchie can get a bunt down here, and so let's move the guy around, and we've got the top of the order to drive him in. And just some craziness ensued. You know, it's like they they throw inside, and Hatch is already committed to the bunt and basically has to kind of be defensive there. Next thing you know, it's it's a pop-up to the catcher. So we basically waste the out right there, and it's not a productive out. And I'm not being critical of Josh. It's kind of one of those things that happens. But you you just really think if you could get that bat that bunt down – it might change the complexity of this. So then we have the uh, double play ball that they can't complete. They basically just force him. Rowdy hits a, a hard ball out to third. They nearly throw it away. The uh, second baseman did a great job there to, to keep his foot on the bag. They do. I think Lamonos did challenge it. They reviewed it, and everything was fine. I understand challenging that, too. They give you a couple anyway. Why well, keep them in your back pocket? You can't carry them over to the next game. Then T.A. is hit by the pitch. He hit him pretty flush too. And I know some people reacted. Listen, they're not throwing at T.A. in that situation, not in a one-run ball game in Omaha. Not going to do it, because now all of a sudden you got runners at first and second. You know, with some guys up behind him, it can swing it a little bit too. So no, that, that wasn't deliberate. There's nobody going to throw at Tanner Allen in that situation at Omaha in a one-run ball game. It's not going to do it. And so they bring in Whitten who actually did a pretty good job here, but Cam. Just battles and battles and battles. We, you know, we get ahead 1-0, we take a strike, and then we get a ball, we foul one off, get another ball, we foul another one off, and then we get a walk. So now all of a sudden we got some big things going on here, right? you got bases loaded. Bases loaded for, uh, for Tanner Leggett, and, you know, the poor kid uh, ends up being a pinch runner defensive replacement. He's coming up in Omaha with a chance to put a game away to send Mississippi State to, uh, you know, to the bracket final. And, he, and the kid got in there and battled. He, I mean, he hadn't swung a bat hardly at all. I mean, he's just one of those guys. He just—he he was big when he mattered. Like, and I, I'm, he matters now. That's not what I'm saying. I'm, I kind of misspoke there. But yeah, there was a time, you know, when DeBruyne was struggling a little bit and kind of scuffing along, and, and Tanner did a good job there at second base. And so he hadn't played a whole lot since then, but now here he is in this huge situation, the biggest moment of his life, and uh, ends up, you know, hitting the ground ball to third. And it's 6-5. And then we go to the ninth, bottom of the ninth, and, you know, Landon Sims is out there. And I think, like all of you, I was worried, too. He was going on short rest. Yeah, thankfully, he got out of that other inning just on one pitch. But, you know, not going to be as sharp. We've had a couple of instances where he has thrown two times in a weekend, and the second time hadn't been very good. Even when we've been able to get the save. Some of them have been kind of dramatic. And some of you have said, oh, you know, his velo was down. It was down a little bit, but the gun was down, too. The The end, end stadium gun was down a little bit because there were several pitches. Uh, the people around me were like, you know, that, you know McGarry's normally throwing you know, 98, 97 there, and he's throwing 92, 93. And so I think it has to be calibrated. And that's not to say that Lennon's velo went down a little but He also didn't throw a ton of fastballs early in the in this inning, uh, tried to get some swing and miss with the slider, and, uh, listen, he, he he wasn't quintessential Sims, but he was good enough Sims. And Sims, even at 85%, is good enough to get you a save, and that's what happens tonight. We get a ground out to Cam, and Cam makes a great play. We throw across and get the first out. It, it always seems that way, too. When you get the first out in the ninth, it's like the next one's come pretty quick. And when you walk that guy or he gets a single, it seems like it takes forever to get out of the inning. So we get that first important out, and then we get Kent to fly out to left, and it was basically a routine fly ball there. And we get Tappen to strike out swinging. It was a big at-bat, too. We get ahead 0-2, and then we waste a pitch, take a couple fouls, and then we get him uh, swinging there to get out of it. And it's his 12th save of the year. And it was a big sigh of relief, but I think also, too, it's when you look back at the totality of this ball game. We absolutely stole this ball game. It the, the whole expression about snatching defeat from you know, the jaws of victory or the other way around, snatching victory from the jaws of defeat, we, we had been absolutely shut down for seven innings. But it is a 27-out ball game. That eighth inning still counts. And like I read this stuff too. It's, oh, I hate to see them lose when they dominated. You know, okay, you got to dominate from start to finish. You know, those, those runs in the second inning count just as much as the ones in the eighth do. You don't get any bonus points for it. And so
0: we win.
1: We won't apologize for it. We don't need to explain it away. We don't have to say, like, oh, well, man, we sure got lucky. No, we didn't get lucky. We absolutely did not get lucky. We didn't get any breaks. They didn't boot the ball around. They didn't give us anything. We took everything that we have from that ball game. I mean, look at the box score here. Errorless baseball. Neither team made an error. We gave up 12 hits in the ball game and won. We're out hit 12 to 6, but we made ours matter. You know They had traffic all night on the bases and just couldn't get the big hit when they absolutely had to have it, when they needed to get some separation. It's like they, they hit the solo home run in the eighth. But, guys, you look at that, we put up zeros, the third, fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh, it gave us a chance to climb back in it. And that's what a team effort is. The bullpen spells your starter who didn't have his best stuff. And rather than go out there and saying, hey, well, I should be the starter, let me just go get three outs and we'll see what happens the next inning. Let's run some numbers here for you too. And they're not they're not pretty. I mean the, the the only one that's pretty is six to five. And that's your final score. But let's look at the box score here too, because I think it's important to understand, you know, just what what it took for us to win this ball game. Uh Rowdy Jordan, one for four, and of course that's the big double that set up the home run there. TA, of course, one for four with the three run bomb and a couple K's there too. Cam James does go 0 for on the night. Luke Hancock, one for four. Uh Tanner Laggett, 0 for 1. Logan Tanner, 0 for 3. But as I mentioned, I'm not in any way concerned about this one. I was concerned about how he, you know, hit the other night. He went 0 for 4 and had some really bad case. But tonight, he hit the baseball really hard. That tells me he's about to come out of it. Uh, And then, you know, Scotty DeBruyne, 1 for 2. But, man, he was a catalyst for us tonight. On base three times, drives in a run, uh, scores a run. I mean, again, This is why he came to Mississippi State. He didn't come to Mississippi State just to improve his draft stock. He came to Mississippi State for a chance to go to Omaha. I mean, you got to think, when he signed on, it's like, hey, listen, this team's been to Omaha two years in a row. They need a second baseman. Okay, I'm a second baseman. This makes sense to me. And he hadn't just been a hanger-on. This is a guy that's a contributor. I said on Twitter, too, he's a guy, too. I mean, he is so tough at second base There are a lot of plays that he makes. A lot of people would just try to backhand or stab at the ball, but he circles around it, plants his feet, and gets in front of it and makes a good throw to first. I joked around. I said, you could shoot a howitzer out there, and he would get in front of it and throw it first. The guy doesn't have any contact aversion. This is a guy that has courage. This is a gritty, blue-collar guy. He fits us. He really does. Really happy with that addition. You know, we don't win the ballgame tonight without him. I mean that's, that's as honest as I can say it. He didn't hit a home run tonight. But we don't win the ball game without him. Uh Brad Cumbus 0 for four tonight with a couple of Ks, but I, you know I really thought he got out of there and battled a little bit. Kellum Clark, of course, one for three, the big two run Jack that kind of got things started. So offensively, we just didn't do much. Forsyth 0 for 2, and Hatchie 1 for 2 with a run scored. So six hits on the night. Six runs, pretty efficient outing there. Uh, expected more from us offensively, but, again, a lot of that's got to do with McGarry. And, again, I think we may have a little bit of a hangover, too. Uh, we we did get walked five times. We knew that he would walk us some, and he did. Uh, looking at their numbers, a lot better offensively, but a lot of that came early in the ballgame. Uh, leadoff hitter Zach Geloff, three for four. Uh, Max Co- Co- Cochier, two for three. Kyle Teal three for five. And then after that, you know, it gets pretty slim for a while. Uh, Devin Ortiz, 0 for four, just the 1K. Nick Kent, 0 for three. Alex Tappans, one of their better players, 0 for five with three strikeouts. Uh, Jake Jiloff, the the brother of Zach, one for three with a run scored. Uh, Catcher uh, Logan Michaels, 0 for three. And Chris Newell, the nine-hole hitter, an absolute assassin, just hiding in the reeds down there, three for four, with two runs scored and of course he's the one that hit that jack to, to kind of get him within a run uh late Looking at pitching numbers here and this is where i thought mississippi state this is the difference in the ball game right here this is the difference in the game it is the bullpen if they don't come out and hold the game where it is it doesn't matter what kind of rally you have in the eighth inning this game could have gotten away from us again it's a total team win Everybody contributed. everybody Christian McLeod, uh, just one in a third innings pitch, five hits, four runs, two walks, no strikeouts, just didn't have it tonight. Again, I think Virginia knew something. I don't think he had his best stuff, but I think they also uh, probably had a plan on Christian McLeod. Preston Johnson comes in, two innings pitch, allows three hits, and a couple of those uh, obviously uh, late. But, again, that job he does there in the second inning is really the difference in the ball game in many respects. Chase Patrick comes in, rolls up a ground ball, three pitches, And probably none more important than that ground ball he rolls up there. Uh, Parker Stinnett comes in, goes to the inning in a third, allows two hits, one walk, one K. Cam Teller comes in, does a job for us too, does two-thirds of an inning, perfect. Perfect, six pitches. Cade Smith is your winning pitcher tonight. And, again, I'm really high on Cade Smith. I expect him to be a weekend starter next year. He'll be back, be 100%. But uh, the guy's a competitor. He really is. Cade Smith, one inning pitched, uh, no hits, no runs, one walk, 1K, three at-bats, 16 pitches. Stone Simmons comes in, and Stone's been hit a little bit as of late. But listen, Stone's going to be back next year, and I think he's a guy too that could either be a long relief guy or potentially a start on a weekend. We'll have to see how things shake out. But uh, you know, he's a former weekend guy at Furman. It's not like it is a new process for him. This is a guy that's got some got some stuff. Inconsistent at times, but uh, he's got some stuff. So Stone goes two-thirds of an inning, allows two hits in a run. That's the home run there. But, uh, again, comes in, does a job. And then Landon Sims comes in, closes it out, earns his 12th save of the year, one and a third innings. No hits, no runs, one strikeout, no walks, no hit by pitches, 15 pitches. And so he should you – know, through six – 15 pitches on a night. So, you know, he should be fine when we need him. If we need him to go Friday – I suspect that he will be good to go. So looking at Virginia, and again, the numbers here are very dominant as a starter. Their bullpen absolutely did not get the job done. And you give Mississippi State a lot of credit for hanging in there and kind of grinding through some at-bats until they got some pitches to hit. But Griff McGarry, and and listen, tip of the cap to him, he has been really up and down this year, but in the postseason it's been outstanding. He goes a season-long seven and one-thirds of an innings pitch, allows just one hit, and that's a two-run home run walk, just two, and that's been the book on him, but he'll walk the ballpark if you let him. Eight punch-outs, one hit by pitch, and that was Rowdy. Ninety-eight pitches thrown. They get him bringing Zach Messenger. He didn't get a single player out, two hits, two runs. The next thing you know, the wheels are turning. They bring in Steven Scooch, I think his name. Goes one-third of an inning, two hits, two runs, a walk. 15 pitches then they bring in nate savino and he allows the hit and then a run scores too it's not charged to his record but you know really nobody they brought out there could really stop us you know they bring in kyle Witten for you know for one third of an inning and he even he walks a guy he works 12 pitches and finally gets an out gets him out of the inning there but um yeah the bottom line is is that the virginia bullpen did not match the effort of their starter the reverse is the starter at mississippi state didn't pitch well the bullpen did and we've talked about that all year, about the strength of this team is arguably the bullpen. And, again, there are sometimes, you know, things, you know, baseball is not a game where you can exert dominance very often. Not at this level. You're not going to show up here and blow people out in Omaha. just doesn't happen like that. And so you got to piece it together. And I thought it was a masterful job by Chris Lamonis and Scott Foxall, and not just with the pitchers. I mean, you know, the insertion of, of, of Hatcher. I mean, who, who, thought, who thought Josh Hatcher would factor into the decision? tonight but he does he gets in there and sets up a righty versus lefty matchup and obviously Hatcher is a big guy so if he could run into one make some things happen and again he gets an infield hit that extends the inning becomes a rally and I thought how apropos was it T.A. hits a three-run bomb to give State the lead and who's on base who's on base Josh Hatcher Rowdy Jordan the three guys that have been here three years in a row and of course again Hatchie hadn't played quite as much down the stretch but I thought that was kind of a classic moment it's like those three guys that have given so much to Mississippi State baseball have a big moment together in Omaha now I don't think we're done having big moments but I think that's one I think that picture of those three celebrating at home is probably something somebody should capture and make sure that they have maybe somebody Mississippi State will make sure that happens because I think this has been a special recruiting class and a special group and I think we're not done having special moments. But, um uh, again, a, a historic night for Mississippi State. And, of course, we do break the, uh, the all-time single-season strikeout record by a team. We have just six strikeouts tonight. How about that? I don't think anybody expected that. Just six? Yeah, just six. But we do set a new record. Hurts our caper nine inning just a little bit there, but we're going to set that record, too. We also tied a record – uh, for most pitchers used in a College World Series game with eight, I think it's correct. Yeah, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Eight is correct. That's a record held by a handful of schools. So uh so we're in record books. Again, it's like every night some of the crazies happen. We go from a situation where we almost are part of a historic night on the bad side of things. There had not been a no-hitter thrown since the back in the 1960s in the College World Series. And that's something we would have worn forever, Right. It's like, oh, we'll go up there and get no hit. We never would have heard the end of it from our rival fans, right? And rightfully so. I mean, when you go up there and you play as, you know, playing for a championship and you can't get a hit, I mean, you deserve some criticism. But State hangs in there, and they're just so dadgum tough. That's the thing that I go back to. There's no quitting in this team. there are A lot of times, you know, that uh, you would say, you know what, it's just not my night. But they didn't buy into that. They kept grinding through, and they finally get to McGarry. And when Kellum Clark hit that, you could tell that the place was rocked. Virginia was rocked. McGarry was rocked. And then, of course, they make a call and they make a change. And then I think the moment was so big for those guys. And you guys in the stands, let me give my tip of the cap to you guys too. You know, Chris Simonis even talked about it. The dude, in fact, came to Omaha. You know, there, were, there were thousands of Mississippi State fans here just waiting for something to yell about, waiting for something to explode about. And they finally got it, and they took over the stadium. The, the maroon and white chant, we needed it. It was like the players really responded to you guys. And, of course, they got to make some things happen. I mean, we can't just cheer them along. We can do as best we can, but they got to execute, and they did. And I think it was one of those nights, too. I, I, I walked out of the building and make a couple calls, and I got people all up right and down the street saying, hey, Steve, you got to record a barnyard tonight. Well, it's my regularly scheduled night, but also, too, If you know anything about me, why in the world would I go to sleep before I could talk to you guys about this game? And we'll have a day off on Wednesday. I will go up there and watch Stanford and Vanderbilt play. I'm here, right? I'm here. I got a media pass. I got a seat on a row. So I will go to the ball game because I love college baseball. But we're going to talk a little more about the rest of the bracket after the top ten list. But a historic win for Mississippi State. I told David Murray right before Tanner Allen stepped into the batter's box. We're in the second third, I said these are the legacy building moments. This is what you build a legacy out of. What do you do in the big moments on the big stage? And what did Tanner Allen do? He put a charge into a baseball to give Mississippi State the lead in a ball game that they'd been absolutely destroyed in. And that's when you're at your best. Guys like Tanner Allen, I mean, it's, hey, it's one thing to go up there and you know, get a base hit against, you know, McNeese State or something on a Tuesday night. It's another thing when you're you're facing the losers bracket. You start thinking, you know what? We have to win three games to get there now. Our backs will be against the wall. We'll be facing elimination. And Tanner changes everything with one swing. And again, it wasn't just T A. You know, it's Josh extending the inning. It's Rowdy getting the extra base hit there. And and I love the fact that T A. is so quick to give other people credit. That's what a leader does. A leader empowers other people. He doesn't just say, hey, let's look at what I did. And it's like, you know what, if these guys don't get hits, that spot in the order never comes up in that key moment. And I thought Chris Lamontis illustrated it well, too. It's like it always seems when we need a big hit, it's our best guys coming up. You know, In, that, in the biggest moment we could have in our season, we got the, arguably the best hitter in the country, and Tanner Allen coming up in the SEC Player of the Year. Who, who else would we want up there? And he's come through time and time again. He walked off two lane, had the big bases loaded clear and tripled against Ole Miss, had the big home run and ball game against Notre Dame. I mean, it's just like, listen, this is what he does. Tanner Allen is our guy. Rowdy Jordan is our guy. They're all our guys. But in order for us to get where we want to go, you know, we've got to have our stars playing well. And they didn't play well against Texas, and we won in spite of that. And then they played really well tonight in the stretch – despite the fact that, listen, T.A. could have said, you know what, man, this, this Omaha thing, isn't going to work out for me. He was O for Omaha, as was Kellum Clark. We could have said, you know what, guys, let's just regroup. You know, we could have done the Hoover thing and said let's just kind of get out of here today and save some arms and, you know, we'll find a way to piece it together on a weekend. But instead they said, no, no, we're going to win the ball game, and they did. And thank God they did today's top 10 list brought to you by johnnypacker.com that's p-a-c-k-e-r packer as in green bay packer johnnypacker.com listen you guys need sunglasses the sun is out and and I'll, i'll tell you this i've been told by an optometrist we don't need to drive without sunglasses whether they be prescription sunglasses or regular sunglasses the bottom line is you don't need to be out driving in that sun damaging your eyes you don't need to be laying out under the sun without your sunglasses on it, listen it is a requirement for living you're only going to make your life better and the quality of your day better by having sunglasses number one they're fashionable they look great they feel great but they also protect your eyes and go find some cool glasses today at johnnypacker.com this is a Mississippi company uh, run by Bulldogs and I believe in supporting Bulldogs at every every opportunity we get uh, Brandon has informed me they put some blue light glasses on there so if you're somebody like me that you know you're constantly having to you know, be behind a computer screen or you know, things that put strain on your eyes, these blue light glasses may be the way to go from you, so inquire about that okay, give it an opportunity uh, when you go to johnnypacker.com too, if you see that your favorite frames are sold out, don't despair go ahead and shoot them an email and they'll get them on order for you because what's happened is since those guys have partnered up with the barnyard, they're they're getting a lot of business and thank you guys for supporting them because again these are great guys doing a great job and uh, I believe delivering a great product These glasses don't pinch your nose. They ride your face well. You're going to be glad you got them. But being a loyal Boneyard listener, though, we'll give you a phrase that pays, Boneyard. It gives you 10% off your purchase, but also, too, a portion of the purchase proceeds will be donated to the Cystic Vibrosis Foundation. John Packer is a guy that's lived with CF his whole life and is doing what he can to try to improve the quality of life for other people. So, again, that's johnnypacker.com, promo code Boneyard. And thanks so much for your support of them. So again, I don't have my notes with me, so you have to forgive me, but I've been, a few of you have reached out and said, Steve, you hadn't done a lot of country in a while as a top ten list, and you're right. And so I had somebody hit me up and say, Steve, how about Alan Jackson? I said, you know what, I've, I've never done an Alan Jackson list, I do like some Alan Jackson tunes, I believe he is a real cowboy, you know, I don't think that he's a guy that has bedazzled jeans and that sort of stuff, and you know, platform boots and that sort of stuff. I, I think there's some authenticity with Alan Jackson. He's been around a long time. And so I reached out to my country music sponsor and said, hey, listen, I'm going to need some help with this list. I've got a handful of songs, but I want to do a good list for all the Alan Jackson fans out there. I don't want to just kind of wing it and hope for the best. I want I want the real stuff. So I was given, you know, several songs that I didn't know, and so I familiarized myself with those songs. So this is my list with a little help from my country music sponsor all right here we go the number 10 song of the alan jackson top 10 list is a song called drive you should be familiar with that one if you're not i suggest you would i could have moved this one up a little bit i really dig the track number nine is remember remember when and we've all had those moments in our life right and the older that i get the more of those i have um you know and it's not just because of nostalgia but just sometimes too i mean it's like when you experience things like we saw tonight, I mean, it's like, I was like, when have I felt this way before? You think, oh, yeah, I remember we had the Stanford thing. I felt that way. And I remember how we felt when Hunter Renfro caught that ball against the wall against uh, Oregon State, you know, to, to help us kind of take control of that bracket and advance to the college World Series final. You know, and so it's like we have these moments. And that's what, remember when, you know, it's a little more of a romantic song, but. I think it's very poignant times like today number eight living on love and and that's listen there was a time that th- th- this song was everywhere living on love i mean it, it's a very common tale right i mean it's, sometimes that's all we have I had a lady asked me today i have a tattoo on my right forearm so what does it say it says love conquers all and i believe that number seven this is another great one this is uh this is one of those songs too that, that kind of hits you in your feelings a little bit it's where were you when the world stopped turning it's a great song. It's one of those that makes you think a lot about life. You know, it's one of those things too that you, you begin to think you know, there's a lot more to this than just having a good time in life and kind of going through and working hard. I mean, there's, there are things and people that really matter. One of the sillier songs that was a huge hit, and I thought it wouldn't be uh, right to not to use this one considering some of you have called uh, Morgan William itty-bitty for so long, even though she didn't really like it that much. I'm sure she's embraced it now because uh, it's what some of our people do. She likes to be called Moe, so you know. But it's little bitty. Uh, number five, and this is, you know, I'm from South Mississippi, and I share that with people all the time. I'm, I'm very proud to be from South Mississippi. People always ask me what the Highway 98 tattoo stands for. That's where I'm from, it's 601 area code. I'm from South Mississippi, and fiercely proud to be a mississippian i don't make any apologies for that i think in mississippi we learn how to deal with each other and that's the thing that we've got a lot to explain and to do from some things that happened in our past but i i I trust mississippians i believe we've got a wonderful set of core values for the most part in in our state and uh, i believe that my generation has probably uh, enjoyed the best version of mississippi there ever has been but it's where i come from that's the number five song on the list from Alan Jackson, Where I Come From. Number four, another big hit early in his career, it's Midnight Montgomery. And I don't, I don't know what it is about Montgomery, but people love singing about that town. I've been over there several times. I've never felt, you know, the wax poetic or anything. But uh, Midnight Montgomery's Montgomery, a cool track. Number three, and I really believe the final three songs, I don't think the rest are debatable. I think you can make a case for some of the guys, some of the songs I have out here, but I think this top three is pretty rock solid. Number three is Chasing That Neon Rainbow. It's a beautiful song. I mean, it's like one of those things, too. It's almost poetic, too. It's like you think about, you know, the, the lights of Broadway there in Nashville. It, it makes perfect sense. It's what every country music star wants. It's just like actors that want to go to Hollywood. I mean, it's like you want to go to Nashville and hit it big. Number two, and th- this song used to be everywhere. It's Gone Country. And... I <laughs> It seemed like everybody I knew that had pickup trucks and boots had this CD in their car or or tape or whatever. I mean, it's like everywhere I went, it's like everybody had gone country. And it's like people just kind of embrace small-town living and that sort of stuff. And listen, I I get it too, man. I mean, I may not look like it, but I I share the same value system. But uh, you may not catch me in a pair of cowboy boots, but I have a lot of respect for our farming communities and had a discussion with somebody earlier this week out in Omaha. It's like, you know, my dad was one of 13 kids, grew up on a dairy farm in Jones County, Mississippi. And so I know all about those values and I know exactly what people mean about looking after each other. I know what it means when bad things happen to people out there that have farms and people take care of one another. There's just a quiet dignity in our farming communities. I mean, there's just so many people out there. It's like if something happens, rather than sit around and pout, they just get to work. They just go fix it. And I respect that. But number one, and I think this is clearly the number one song and Alan Jackson's career, and you talked about a song being everywhere. I think everybody, everything, every TV commercial had this one. Uh, the video was great, too, but it's uh, it's Chattahoochee, way down yonder on the Chattahoochee. And, and I man, it was absolutely everywhere, and it was a mega hit. I don't know that Alan Jackson will ever have a hit bigger than that one. But that's your top ten list. If you've got an idea for top ten list, and, and so we're going to give country a break for a little while because we come back. And, again, today is Wednesday. So we're going to come back on Friday with some rock and uh, kind of prepare, hopefully, for a great weekend, a historic weekend in Mississippi State baseball. So we'll have some rock on Friday. But that's your country list. And, listen, Roy's got a list. And, listen, Roy is the organizer among the group, okay? Yeah, I'm just really the talent. You know, Roy says, hey, we need to do this, we need to do that one. And a lot of times I just kind of say, listen, what do you think this week? And he's very involved and gets nothing from it except the fact that he's my friend. You see what I'm saying? It's like, he's just here to help me and help you. And he thought, you know, hey, well, how cool would it be if we had these lists on Spotify for people that maybe were somewhat unfamiliar? And I've had so many of you, I, I venture to say hundreds of you that have reached out in one way or another and been very appreciative of the job Roy does putting those things on Spotify for you. I, I, several people say, you know what, Steve, I'm, I work in the yard sometimes and I'm always looking for new tunes. And so I listen to the Spotify list. Others have said, you know what, I knew one or two songs from some of these bands, but uh, I listened to it on the way to work, and now I, I, I keep up with them a lot more. So if you were looking for some cool tunes, we can deliver. And again, follow Roy on Twitter and on Spotify at Dogmatic67. That's D A W G M A T I C, Dogmatic67. All right, let's take a look at this bracket, the segment of the show brought to you by Campus Bookmart. Great people. And I tell you what's so cool too, and Susie will get a kick out of this, is I had multiple people come up to me today and talk about Campus Bookmart and how they went have gone in and Susie has waited on them and they have agreed with my assessment about how beautiful she is. And and she is such a beautiful soul too. I, I absolutely love her. Uh she lives out in Sturgis and um probably the queen of that community out there. I absolutely love Susie. And they're like those people there are like family to me. They take care of me and And when I'm gone, it's like I hear from sometimes Miss Kathy Brown will message me and say, hey, I know you're out traveling. Be safe. You know, they're just good people. And so I like doing business with good people. I'm going to encourage you to do the same. Go by and see them today. Standing man, Miss Kathy, the lovely, talented Susie. Oh, my goodness. She's so lovely. And then if you can't make it to town, visit them on the World Wide Web at campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll save you a little cash. Use promo code BSR, which stands for beautiful Steve Robertson. And that'll give you free shipping on all orders over 50 bucks. Any order, less than $50, absolutely incomplete. Get your College World Series shirts from them. Again, it's campusbookmart.net. Use promo code BSR. Okay, let's look at the bracket. Okay, so as you guys know, NC State is in the same position we're in in bracket one. They have won their first two games. Of course, they beat Vanderbilt uh, one to nothing. Beat beat Jack Leiter one nothing, and they give up. They basically give up a tank, and that's how you got to beat those guys. Is you got to be able to. You're not going to be able to put together three and four hits. So you got to be able to hit the long ball against them. That's difficult to do here. So Vanderbilt is now in the losers bracket, uh, and they will play Stanford, and that is a matchup I really think favors Stanford because I don't know what Vanderbilt has left. They've already thrown Rocker, they've thrown Maldonado, they've thrown uh, Leiter. And I just don't think that they're going to have enough tomorrow. Stanford can really swing it, as you guys know. Uh, They won the game and eliminated Arizona 14-5 back on Monday and really just jumped on Arizona. And I'll be honest with you, there were some people early in the week, I'm not going to name any names, because some of these people in the National College Baseball media are getting a little bit salty because of their picks aren't going the way they expected. And I, I mean, I don't mean to be petty about that stuff. I don't try to be. I like to discuss that stuff because I like to know what they're thinking because I don't see all these teams all the time. But I had a guy with ESPN beginning of the week said Arizona's going to win it all. And then Arizona was the first team eliminated. I have not seen him since. So I don't know what that means. But um, Arizona, the first team eliminated, and Stanford really removed all doubt in that ballgame. I think they had 20 hits. So Stanford can swing it. They actually have the same batting average going into today's action at 280 at Mississippi State did. State's going to be down a little bit after just a six-hit performance. That game will be played Wednesday night. That's what we're going to have Wednesday and Thursday night. Then, of course, we'll have a doubleheader on Friday. I like Stanford to eliminate Vanderbilt. I think that is the best-case scenario for State as well. And listen, if we make it to next week, whoever we play is going to be great. There's not going to be somebody that's kind of limps in there that we're going to be able to take advantage of. But uh, Stanford will play the loser's bracket game Wednesday. The winner of that game will play NC State in the early game Friday. The early game Friday. It's a 1 p.m. game. And then they will have to beat NC State twice. If whoever wins that, let's say Stanford wins, if they beat NC State, then they would force a, if necessary, game on Saturday also at 1 now, on our side of the bracket, and it's no longer bracket, too. It's the Mississippi State side of the bracket. It used to be the Texas side of the bracket. Now it's ours. So, Virginia, of course, beats Tennessee in their first game 6-0, and then we beat Virginia 6-5, right? And that's and incredible to think about, too, that Virginia goes nine innings of shutout baseball against Tennessee and then goes seven innings of – Shut out, no hit baseball against us. That's 16 innings in Omaha where they threw up goose eggs. That says a lot about Brian O'Connor and his staff. It really does. So, Virginia will play Texas. Texas eliminates Tennessee uh, earlier in the day, 8 to 4. And to be honest with you, I didn't think that game was close. I, I thought Texas, I felt like Texas, with their ability to pitch it, was going to win it. Tennessee does not translate well to Omaha. And and I've said it some blue in the face, but these launch angle teams struggle in Hoover. They just do I mean look at what Virginia did tonight, right? Virginia's not a team that hits a ton of home runs. But they're a team that goes up there and they force you to play defense. They bunt. They move runners. They're really good two strike hitters. Uh, they find gaps. You know, and if if you're up there always trying to play home run derby, you're gonna lose. And look no further than the fact that Arizona and Tennessee have been eliminated. Those are the things I mean, those are that's what they do. If they if you remove the long ball from their offensive component, they're gonna struggle. And listen, everybody loves a home run, right? I mean chicks dig the long ball, right? Right? I mean everybody wants to hit home runs. Everybody wants to hit jacks. Everybody wants to be the guy on sports center. Well, let's run these things let's look at the national leaders in home runs, shall we? Let's look at the top ten. Nine of the top ten teams in home runs are at home. Arkansas was one, Old Dominion two, Dallas Baptist three, Tennessee four, LSU five, Mercer six. Then there's NC State, who's still playing. Uh, Wake Forest is eight, Texas Tech is nine, Kansas State is ten. So nine of the top ten home running hitting teams in America this year are no longer playing baseball. And some of those teams didn't make tournament so it's not as simple as okay, let's go up and see if we can't run into something. You've got to be able to play baseball, and that's what Omaha does. We always talk about the game finds you. That's what Omaha does. Omaha brings your weaknesses to the forefront, and you've got to find a way to address them. Or you're going to get beat. And I think we saw some things. Listen, I'm a Tony Vitello fan. I, I did. I, I to be honest with you, though, they did not behave well in Omaha. And I don't think it plays well. And it's like I've heard some people say, well, I don't understand why we have this bad boy image. Well, yeah, I mean, when you want to argue and gripe and fuss and cuss umpires and that kind of stuff, that's what you develop. I mean, you kind of are who you are. And I'm not talking negatively about Tony Botello, but I think, listen, if you're going to be a heel, just own it. Just go with it. You want to be the bad boy of the SEC, then that's cool. But you know what? When you go out there and you get out-coached and you get out-executed in back-to-back games in, in, who, in, in Omaha, you got to buy a blame with yourself. And listen, to be honest with you, I think we all kind of appreciated the fact that Tennessee had some problems and most of their big moments came in Knoxville. You know, in order to win big, you got to be able to win on the road. In Tennessee, at times, we really struggle with that because all their big moments came in Knoxville at Lindsey Nelson Stadium. And, and um, you know, th- th- when you get out here and all of a sudden you remove the possibility of you know hitting three and four home runs a game, now all of a sudden you got you know you got to go out there and string hits together and you're incapable of doing it and they jump out early, of course, you know I guess Jordan Beck had a really big hit early in that ball game today, and then Texas really just kind of settled down and mowed through them. and of course, you had the ejection of the uh, volunteer assistant coach, and it was ridiculous and that's um, just unbecoming. I mean it, it really it, I think that's the thing too you look I think that's going to be the, the lasting image of Tennessee and Omaha. Is that coach getting ejected? And it really looks like sour grapes. And the truth of the matter, too, is the pitch that he was arguing was clearly a ball. Uh, Macias is behind the plate. We've had him before, and his strike zone is not the most consistent. But apparently, the NCAA likes him well enough to have him coach uh, the college or um, the college world series. But that in that particular play, the call was correct. Then we had this explosion, and then it's like everybody's like, "Oh, he got kicked out for nothing." No, he absolutely deserved that ejection. And his behavior is unacceptable. And I think Greg Sankey probably needs to make a phone call. And I'm sure that he will. I'm sure the University of Tennessee Chancellor will make a phone call. It's just unbecoming of the league. And I think it's probably unbecoming of to Tennessee too. And the fact that you've got a you know, a non-paid assistant coach out there causing the issues that he was, I mean, I, you got to know boundaries. And uh, I think Tony's got to get that addressed. And, uh, again, I, I like Tony Vitello, and I, I think uh, – him going to LSU probably wouldn't be good for the rest of the league because he is a bit of an alpha dog. I know. let me take that back. He is very much an alpha dog, and I think he brings that out, and Tennessee has played with an edge all year. The problem with that is is when you run into somebody who out-executes you that doesn't listen to your head games. They don't get sucked into all that stuff, all that you know, macho bravado and stuff, and that's, that's what happened. You ran into some really good teams that were well-coached by guys that are very experienced, They just aren't impressed by that kind of stuff, and they're not going to be sucked into that sort of stuff. And so Tennessee eliminated. So, again, two teams very much reliant on the home run ball are the first two teams eliminated in Omaha. The teams that can pitch it, still around. It's funny how that happens, right? So our loser's bracket game, which we are not a part of, we're just kind of waiting around for everybody else, you know, for the traffic to clear for us. But when you, when you look at this NCAA you know, bracket here, you know, so we won't play again until Friday at 6 p.m. Central. That's Mississippi State time. Texas and Virginia will play Thursday night at 6. So you're going to have a Wednesday night game, a Thursday night game, a Friday afternoon, and a Friday evening game. And hopefully we're done playing baseball for this week then there will be an, an if necessary uh, game on Saturday. And, again, if we play Saturday, it would be a night game. So the, the next question everybody says is, well, Steve, who do we throw? Well, we throw Houston Harding. There's no question. and I know that Chris uh, will probably play it close to the vest. Now, we will not talk to Lamonas and the team on Wednesday. We will talk to them on Thursday to kind of preview uh, the Friday ball game. And so I don't know if he will announce it then. Yeah, I think he'll probably be a little bit cool. But I think we all know it's going to be Houston Harding. And he has earned that opportunity. And I think we saw last week against Notre Dame. I mean, he is a guy that, you know, that can rise in the big moments. We need him to. But to me, there's no decision to make. I, I don't care who they trot out there. And, you know, Virginia, I guess, has, what, four lefties in the lineup. And, and uh, Texas has a, a couple as well. And so I just think with that changeup, the way that he throws it and the way he can mix in his fastball and the fact that I think he can keep people in the ballpark here. I think it's a perfect fit. And then you, you don't want to get too far ahead of yourself, but you think, okay, if we can find a way to win that ballgame on Friday, because whoever we see is going to have played a lot of ball games in a short amount of time, right? It'll be their third game in, in as many days. So let's take Texas as an example here, just to kind of illustrate the point here. Uh, Texas plays Mississippi State Sunday night. They lose. They turn around and play Tuesday afternoon. They win. They will then play Thursday evening. If they win that, they turn around and play again Friday evening. If they win that, they would play Saturday evening. That's going to put a lot of uh, tax on your, on your, on your staff. Now, I'm confident if they get to that ball game with us, we'll probably see Ty Madden again. Throwing on short rest. But I, I mean, that's wouldn't you go with your biggest gun, try to extend your season. And so I don't know who they would throw, you know, if they forced a Saturday game. But so we're not out of the woods by any stretch of the imagination. If you're Virginia, you come back and you throw Abbott, you know, who shut down uh, Tennessee. You know, I mean, that just makes perfect sense. You know, that that ball game was played on Sunday. And so if we get into Friday, I mean, you're talking five, you at know, like four or five days rest. And so. It's not as simple as us just kind of pitching against or hitting against a bunch of bullpen guys or midweek guys. We're going to see some bona fide arms on Friday, no matter who we play. Now, how effective they could be, I don't know. You know, we played Todd Madden twice and beat him both times, but he was a lot better in game two than he was in game one. You know, if need be, we could always come back and throw Will Bednar. I mean, you, you, what you would like to see happen is State find a way to win the game on Friday and then have to deal with that, and then you throw Bednar in game one in a national championship final. And as great as he's been, I think we all would feel really confident there. And so right now, Mississippi State stands one win away from playing for a national championship. We've been here before, okay? We have. We were here in 13, we got it done. We were here in 85, different format, but we didn't get it done. We just needed to beat Miami and we'd have played for a national championship. We didn't. So we have been here before. So it's not, you know, rarefied air for us. You know, and that's the thing I think about sitting at that ballpark. It's so easy, like in the back of our minds, we all say, you know, hey, at some point we're going to win an national championship. And I always say, why not now? Why not now? And while we're here, it's like, you know, we think we're doing something we've never done before, but we have. And that's not to diminish the moment, but it's to say that, you know, we have matured as a baseball program to the point that, you know, we've become regulars here. And as Mike Rooney talked about, Mississippi State's had five straight super regionals and three straight trips to Omaha. And now we're in the catbird seat in our bracket. And that's a bracket that most people didn't expect us to win. Uh, I loved the bracket as soon as it came out. I was a little bit worried about Tennessee just because of the fact that, you know, how well they hit us before. But the bottom line is you begin to think about, you know, how how does everybody translate to the new venue? And so, you know, I felt like we had a great shot in this bracket, and now we do. And now here we are just kind of waiting around to see who we play. But that Friday game is not going to be a cakewalk by any stretch of the imagination. I do think Mississippi State enters the game with a lot of confidence. I think that's the main thing. Mississippi State figures, you know what, we we can win a pitcher's duel. We can come from behind. We can win a shootout, as we showed with Notre Dame. And we've beaten some really good teams. And, uh, listen, give Virginia a lot of credit, man. I mean, the truth of the matter is they were, again, one of the last teams to get in the tournament. They're absolutely wearing people out up here with their pitching staff. So, uh, I'm confident, again, as we get into Friday, we will throw Houston Harding, and we'll see somebody else's ace on short rest. And, uh, you know, what What happens from there, we'll see. But, you know, it, there is no tomorrow for teams like that. So they're going to bring everything they got and try to extend their season to at least Saturday. So be prepared. Don't be all, uh, you know, overconfident thinking, you know what, this is just going to be a walk in the park. It absolutely is not going to be. It is going to be just as intense as what we have seen and maybe the pitching's not quite as good as what it was to go the first go-around, but it's still going to be excellent. There's going to be no situation where we just go out there and victimize somebody. You know, some, there's some of these teams out here on the other side of the bracket don't have a lot of pitching. You know, we do on our side. We have a ton of pitching. Uh, Virginia has pitching. And the fact that McGarry has come along, too, has really helped them, too, you know, because that was a, a guy they didn't expect to have as a starter in the postseason, and here he is. Pitching some of the best baseball of his career, you know what you got with Tom Madden. I'm sure they'll throw Pete Henson tomorrow. I would suspect. I mean, or Thursday. I'm sure they'll throw Pete, and so that would probably remove him as a possibility in the Friday game in, in relief. And maybe you get to Madden early. And I think now that you've seen how they're going to attack us, maybe you can make some adjustments because that's what baseball is: is a game of adjustments. All right. Before we get out of here, let's talk a little bit of a few other things. Thanks to Portico. I love Portico. You will, too. Our friend Brooks Bryant a guy that knows a thing or two about going to Omaha. Never got a chance to play in this ballpark, though. But uh, bottom line is, he knows the way. Brooks is a great guy, man. Brooks is a guy, too, that's invested in Mississippi State. He's invested in Starkville. And if you're looking to make a move to Starkville, and you darn well should be, because we are the coolest kids around in Starkville. And how cool would it be uh, to be around as this baseball program really begins to take off. And you say, man, Steve, it's been great. Listen, there's more left to do for us. And we need you at Duty Noble Field. So you need to buy a place and be here full time. And if you can't be, maybe invest in an investment property or perhaps a home away from home so you don't have to get hotel rooms and you can get your stuff. You can just kind of keep it there. Portico is easy to find. You turn off of 82, right on 12, like going to campus. The very first ride is Pat Station Road, which becomes Garrett Road. Crosses over Old West Point. There's Portico. So it's right there behind the Chrysler Jeep dealership. You're familiar with it. You've passed that turn many times. You always wonder where it went. What's going to your new home? If two-bedroom, two-bath houses, four-bedroom, four-bath, any size home for any size family. If it meet any needs, you have. Only a couple of houses left in Phase 1. Phase 2 is just about to get underway. Been moving some dirt out there, kind of getting things ready to go. If you need some information, you need to call Brooks Bryan, 601 601- 416-8075 again at 601-416-8075. A great guy doing a great job for some great people around here. You'll be glad you did. And listen, even if you're not quite ready to make the move, you owe it to yourself to at least call him and kind of get some information to kind of prepare yourself. Cuz listen, once you get the fever, uh you're going to want to go ahead and take the plunge. And listen, we want you up here. We do. We we don't want a lot of outsiders living in Starboy. What I mean by outsiders? We don't want a lot of non-bulldog people. Uh, in Walmart with us. You know, we want to be around our own kind, which is why we removed Starville in the first place, right? So come be with us. We want you to be our neighbors. Again, that's Portico. Make that your next move, Portico. All right, so there's a couple more things I want to talk about before we get out of here, too. Obviously, uh, the Rocket Watch news, I broke that earlier today. So, Rocket Watts uh, had a pre-existing condition, and this is not the same thing. Negative at Michigan State because I mean it's Division One athletics, right? People get banged up all the time, and so he came. He's been working out with the team and going, doing all his stuff, and then has kind of had this lingering hip issue for a while. Had a surgical procedure. I understand the surgery was successful. He'll make a full recovery. Not expected to miss any time this season, but they'll they'll be careful with him this summer. He'll be withheld from workouts for a while, and he'll go through rehabilitation. But uh, he's a guy we expect to be a major contributor on the men's basketball side this year. But you just gonna have to be patient with that. And, again, I think it's important that you guys learn that because, you know, if it gets out there sometimes like in a 280-character tweet, there's not a lot of context. But uh, I've been told that it it is – yes, it's a concern, but it's not anything that's expected to linger into the season that will kind of inhibit his ability to make plays for you. And it's just something that needed to be taken care of. And so it kind of had progressively gotten worse. And so rather than just kind of letting it become a debilitating condition, let's just go ahead and get it done, which is what they did. So Rocket Watts, not available right now, but will be when the Bulldogs get ready to go this winter. Okay, so that's big news, and I think you need to know that. Excited about this team, really am. All right, let's talk a little football stuff too. I've I've talked to some coaches here as as of late. And, uh, you know, listen, it's going to be fall camp before we know it. That's one great thing about being in the College World Series is it kind of elongates the uh, athletic year for us. And before you know it, man, we'll get home and we'll take a couple of family trips and it'll be time to start covering fall football camp. But but um, a lot of excitement about the newcomers. A lot of the newcomers, you guys that have just recently shown up on campus, guys that are going through similar workouts. A lot of these guys have come in ready to go. And that's the thing that excites you guys is too. And I've had so many people tell me about Makai Polk. And you know, even though he's been here since January, they tell me he's hit a different level after spring, and you know, now he knows his teammates, kind of understand what's expected of him, uh, kind of has an understanding of what the, the offense is supposed to look like, and that I understand he has really taken off. So I'm excited about that. Jalen Green is another one, I, and I had a chance to meet him recently. And, man, he fits. He is a country boy all the way. But you look at some of these guys and you think, this is what an SEC player should look like. You know, there's been some times, you know, we've had some guys on our roster, and I'm not going to mention names or coaches or anything like that, sometimes you see those guys and you think yeah that guy's a little bit of a tweener kind of a marginal recruit there a guy that we took a chance on and maybe he'll develop maybe he not but when I see these newcomers on campus including Randy Charlton and even some of these offensive linemen that have come in guys like Carson Williams and Nick Jones I mean these guys look like SEC players that's exciting to me and there's a lot of reinforcements that have come in I had a chance to talk to Mike Leach here recently and I asked him I said what do you think about your team and he goes, you know, it's, it's too, kind of too early to tell So we get into fall camp. He goes, but you know what, I like the newcomers. I like their energy. I like what they're bringing to the table. Uh, that's exciting to me. When the ball coach is happy, I'm happy because you know th- those guys, by and large, are very critical and at times uh, kind of poor mouth you a little bit because they don't want to convey expectations. They don't feel like they can meet. But uh, I like our team, and I believe our staff likes our team, and I think you're going to like our team as well. So before I get out of here, I want to thank you guys again. Um, Blooms of Oleander debuts at number five on the Mississippi bestsellers list. I actually had two books on the list for the first time in my career. Uh, Thank you for that. Stark Villains, of course, reappears on the list at number eight. That's crazy to me. Stark Villains never hit number one. It was number eight. Number two, excuse me. Flim Flam took John Grisham down, but John held us off with uh, with, uh, Stark Villains and Alpha Dogs. But uh, I take... uh, Listen, I'd love to be number one, but if you're going to be number two, being behind John Grisham's not a bad thing. So none of it lasts forever. But anytime there is a list, it's nice to be on there because it's not a list that I created. It's not a list that I have any control over. It's what you guys do. You guys go out and buy the book, and then these bookstores report their sales, and then there it is. And so many people around Omaha have asked about Steve, where to find the book. Listen, I always want you guys to support independent bookstores. I prefer the Mississippi independent bookstores because they have been so wonderful to me. But buy Blooms of Oleander through your local bookstore or through Bookmart and Cafe. You can get signed or personalized copies through Bookmart and Cafe and with Just call Carolyn and when I get back from Omaha, I'm going to sign those. And I understand they've already got a stack of books for me to sign uh, when I get back. And so if you've ordered one and there's a delay in shipment, that's why it's because I'm in Omaha. Because you guys bought up all the signed books that I left. And so we, I guess we got a couple hundred copies in there. And in the first week, they were just about all gone. And so what you need to do is call and get on the list. Call Carolyn and say, hey, here's what I want. And then they will take care of you when the books come in and I get back and sign them. Uh, they've got some inventory there now. So if you don't care about a signed book, you can go through Amazon or Books A Million or BarnesandNoble.com. Uh, contact Lemuria Books. They've got the book. And our Turn Row has also got it on order. So again, I'm a big supporter of the independent bookstore because uh, those people are plugged into your community and they do a lot for local writers. You know, a lot of these big chains, while they have been very supportive of me, sometimes they kind of ignore the lore guide. So I like the fact that our independent bookstores are kind of comprised of our community writers and there's so many people out there that are my friends have been so gracious to me. And so when you're in town, maybe maybe when you're looking for something new to read, rather than go read the classics or go read, you know, national people maybe every once in a while maybe just pick up a book by a mississippi writer or by somebody local in your community and give them an opportunity throw some support their way and uh listen there's so many of those people that have been so kind to me and um probably more so than i deserve but um a lot of my peers have talked about it you know about this list and they always say you know what steve i would do anything to be on that list just for a couple weeks and uh that really has driven that home to me how important that list is and so Again, that is a major accomplishment from you. And so, again, go check it out today, Blooms of Oleander. If you need the other three books, and many of you do, go to alphadogsthebook.com, and you can get personalized copies of Flim Flam, Stark Villains, and Alpha Dogs. Uh, there are a few out there floating around on, on, uh, on Amazon or eBay or something like that, and many of them are used books. You don't know what kind of condition they are going to be in. You order one from the website, you're going to get a clean, crisp book, If the only writing in it is me, me writing to you, I love you, thanks for buying this book, your pal, Steve Robertson. So go take care of that today. And like I've had people at Omaha come up and say, hey, listen, I've got all your books. I've got two of your books, three of your books, and I've written four. So if you need to complete your catalog, you need to go check that out. So uh, back home, uh, Paul Jones doing a great job kind of keeping up with college football recruiting for us, and that will kind of be our focus the rest of the summer uh, once we get through the college world series but right now me and Dave Murray and Robbie Falk are out here in Omaha because we're a baseball school and so you can kind of keep up you know Mitch is doing a good job and, and Gene and Paul they're kind of keeping you guys abreast of that and I've got some I actually got some recruiting stories that I'll need to write at some point about some guys some underclassmen that came to camp uh, but but we'll get that out there but if you're not a subscriber to Gene's page you you should be and uh, I give Paul Jones a lot of credit because as we begin to Realize how conflicted the calendar was going to be this year because everybody was so eager to get college camps back open again. We knew there was going to be some overlap with the College World Series and with the regionals and with the super regionals. And Paul's never complained. He just kind of gone out there and done it. And of course, we've had Mitch come in and help out a little bit. But, um, you know, it's great when me and Paul and Gene can kind of all work together at an event you know because like oh this guy's this guy and like sometimes Paul recognized guys that I'm not familiar with and vice versa or I'll see a guy say oh so-and-so's here but it's just been great I mean you know Paul's just went out there and done what he's supposed to do and and Gene those guys have as well so I'm very appreciative uh, for them and to them uh, for their efforts to be pros and again nobody has ever complained because everybody gets it everybody wants Mississippi State to win a national championship and you know, they're reading the same articles you are I mean, they're kind of keeping up with all this just like you guys are you know we couldn't bring the whole team out here but you know, those of us that are here are working hard for you guys most of that content is going to be free so if you're not a subscriber to gene's page you can still read it now, let me encourage you too, to give our facebook page a like and that's bulldogs 247 bulldogs on 247 sports and uh we put a ton of free content over there and a lot of it's national there's a lot of stuff about dac that goes on there We don't put any VIP stuff over there, so anything you see on the Facebook page, you can read without a subscription, but you should be a subscriber. Now, we can come ask me questions and ask Paul questions and kind of interact with our members. We got some really good posters on our message boards that really keep up with recruiting to kind of follow things very closely, and at times, there are people that break news on there that we're unaware of, and so we're appreciative of those folks, but I'm very appreciative of you all and your support of the Boneyard, and it seems like every time I turn around, somebody's saying, hey, man, love the podcast, love this, and we're gonna. I'm going to probably do a Facebook Live. I, well, I'm going to do one for sure, either Wednesday or Thursday. It's not exactly sure when yet uh, because you guys deserve it. But also, too, I enjoy interacting with you guys, too. So be looking for that uh, in the days ahead. But, you know, it's like every time I turn around, somebody's like, hey, I've got all your books. I've done this. And I always do my best to say thank you in the moment. But if, if that, that thank you or that gratitude has ever been a little bit rushed, I want to apologize for that. Let me tell you now. Anytime that you guys do anything like that it's supportive of me, it means more to me than I can ever say. And there's sometimes when we're out there at a ballgame or something, you know, there's, you know, you've know, you got things to do, I've got things to do, and sometimes we don't get a chance to really, you know, visit. I do my best to be very patient with that and, and uh, because I get to ball games early so we can have some time to interact, but it's probably not enough, right? And especially at times like these, you know, we've we got a lot of work to do to cover – The College World Series, but there have been so many of you that have come up to Omaha and said hello and shared your appreciation for the show, and many of you out of staters that say, you know what, we never get any Mississippi State content on local radio, so I listen to your show and uh, it really kind of keeps me connected. And and again, before I go, I ran into a, uh, a he's now discharged from the service and served a couple tours over in Afghanistan. And he said, You know what, Steve? He said, Sometimes uh you and Brian's podcast got me through over there. He goes, you know, we'd be over there kinda dealing with some stuff and I knew that I knew what I was fighting for. He said, You know, it's one of the things I, I wanted to stay plugged into Mississippi State Athletics. Even there were times I couldn't watch, but I could keep up with you guys. And that's that's a very humbling thing. and, and so for all of you that are you know, serving in the Florida area and your military families, love you guys, man, and love your families. And you guys are doing a job that I would never do. And I'm so appreciative of you for doing it to keep us all safe. And, and I think so much of our military families and, and the fact that we can provide just a little bit of home and provide some level of comfort and entertainment for those people is, is an amazing situation. Well, listen, next time we get together, we'll be talking about some more college baseball, and hopefully we're talking about advancing to the College World Series Final Series. That's the hope. I hope we're not playing a Saturday game, but you know what? If we do, we that's what we got to do. We'll go win that thing too. And, again, I firmly believe we're going to be playing for it all next week. I really do. And so if you have the means and the ability to get here, let me encourage you to do so because this is going to be a memorable stretch. I I truly believe it. I I really believe we're going to play for a national championship, and we'll see what happens. It's going to depend on the matchup. It really is. But right now, let's enjoy today. Until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies, and people can see a difference in the way we live.